podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I am the big dog Al McLucas and it's only right that I present this show as on the tribal chief, the big dog himself, my American counterpart, Roman Reigns. Now, as I'm buzzing to do this show as always, I have an incredible bloodline with me. He's got his Afghan mind. So first to introduce, he has the Usos to do his dirty work. I've got the Sedils. It's half a Saturday draft live. Scott McLeod and David Hockney. How are you, hey, boys? Hey, Scott, when I say Us, you say O. Oh. Us. No. Such passion here from Scott. Such enthusiasm. Yeah. How are you guys? Uh, it's good to be here and quite a, quite a fitting show to talk about such a polarizing figure as well. I think we're going to have a, a lot of great conversation today. Absolutely. Scott, how are you, mate? Very good. Uh, little known fact, Pete behind the corner. Alan was wanted everybody to acknowledge him before he started recording. He's that he thinks he's that much like Roman Reigns. Excuse me, as the only member of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet that's actually met Roman Reigns, I think that's enough acknowledgement. When did you meet Roman Reigns? You have a loose definition of meeting here. Okay, I want to after I've introduced our last panelist, and then I'll explain why. All right. So, my last panellist, everyone needs that conniving, sneaky, snaky man that'll do anything for you. Well, I've got mine. His name's Daniel Campbell. Except for when Kwaku gives him the GTA dolls. Well, what can I say? Kwaku knows who to trust. <laughs> How you doing, mate? Uh, doing not too bad. It's a decidedly average day, but we're here to talk about a man who's definitely not decidedly average. He is the head of the table, our tribal chief. We will acknowledge him in this episode, and he's the only big dog we're going to acknowledge in this episode. Just saying. <laughs> well, bitch. I will uh, explain how I met Roman after I've done a wee bit of housekeeping. So, as usual, you can find us on the socials at Suplex Retweet on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us at EatSleepSuplexRetweet.com. We have plenty of interviews. We have all our back catalogue and loads, loads more. We also have our YouTube show, Quiz uh, Showdown, Conspiracy Theory, book it on YouTube at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. And you can find us on all podcasting sites such as Podbean, iTunes and Spotify. Go have a listen. We've got, some, we've got something for everyone. So, as I mentioned, Roman Reigns, I am the only person that's ever met him. Uh, the Glasgow show, well, it was WWE Live 2015 and he was in the main event against Bray Wyatt in the cage. And he came out in the crowd and he came out right at me. High five, fist bump. Say, how's it going, mate? I've got the video. I've even put it in the chat. So it shows how much attention they're all paying. And then he walked past me. And as he walked past me again, I gave him another high five. And then he went on and kicked uh, Bray Wyatt's ass. But nearly lost an eye in the process. But yes, I have actually met him. So there you again, go. Again, a very loose definition of meeting here. Yeah, that's... Mm, I don't know. Okay. I mean, you, you can see... Well, I mean, 
you could say you've high-fived any wrestler in the crowd, and I think, you know, that would count as, if that counts as meeting them, and I'd say all of us have at least met a couple of people. Love how you included how you named me when you high-fived him, as if he's going to stop for a chat with you. You said good. Oh, it's, it's like that time. Pal, you? It's like that time I met Bloomin. It's like that time I met uh, James McAvoy. Yeah, little known fact, guys. I've met James McAvoy. I farted past him on the street. <laughs> McAvoy was a fanboy in front of him. It was embarrassing. He was a client of mine in a previous job. <laughs> anyway, welcome to on. people we vaguely met. <laughs> I'm everyone is, and I'm one of the few people that's ever seen the Undisputed Era as well. In the podcast, me, Gary Quack, who got you seen in Blackpool. It was almost for staying in the Tulip Hotel, wasn't it? Don't bring up the Tulip again. <laughs> this episode of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet is sponsored by the Tulip Hotel, Blackpool's finest holiday experience. Book now so you don't miss out. It's like so but real. <laughs> so, moving on about Roman Reigns. So we're going to have a look at his entire career. And obviously his real name is Latia Joseph Anoy. And we're going to talk a bit about his debut back in FCW. Now, I don't have the best knowledge about his FCW background, but I've had a real look. And he's had some really quite interesting matches and he's fought a lot of very, very good wrestlers. Um, making his debut in August 2010 under the name of Roman Lakey, and his first ever match was a 15-man battle royal. Why do you guess who won the match? I remember looking this up, actually. It was none other than A-Rai, Alex Riley. Oh, and Hogney, point to you. Which is quite interesting. Um, And obviously, in 2011, he formed a tag team with Donny Marlowe. Anyone want to take a guess who that is? Thank you, Sonia. No. Was it Tangaloa? Spot on, Hockney. Tangaloa. Because he's in New Japan. Yep. And they had one tag title match uh, against Calvin Reigns and one Big E Langston, which they lost in July 2011. In 2012, he pinned the former FCW champion in a non-title match. Care to guess who the champion was? January 2012, that would have been Leo Kruger, otherwise known as Adam Rose. Three for three, Hawk, you're on fire. Yep, I've been reading up here. Oh, oh, oh okay then. Here's a good one then. I'm going to test you. Mm-hmm. February 2012. Who did he defeat in a triple threat match to become the number one contender for the FCW Championship? <laughs> that was his shield brethren, Ambrose and Rollins. Oh, my God. Dan Scott, keep up, come on. Um, at least yeah. one of those bit fucking loud mouth here when he let you a chance, buddy. All right, okay. All right, I'll, I'll stay quiet for this next one then. Okay, that's fine. Um, he fought the champion the following week, who was Leo Kruger. Did he win or lose? Well, he lost. Correct. Okay. And Dan, can you tell me when he debuted as Roman Reigns? Debuted as Roman Reigns, I believe, 2012. Do you know who he beat in his debut? That wasn't the question. I'm asking. Well, since you have asked now, I will hazard the guess. I have no clue. Was it Taka Michinoku? <laughs> Correct. No, it was uh, C.J. Parker. But 
we were talking just briefly beforehand. Um, Dave, I'll come to you because you are our resident NXT expert. Mm-hmm. He really didn't have long to make an impact or to even be in NXT, did he? No, it was a very much blinking you miss appearance for Reigns in NXT, but he entered sort of as a as a villainous character too because he was sort of almost um, carried himself as almost like a businessman who was always dressed to impress, like as if he was treated as the big deal already in as the new arrival in WWE. But then before you knew it. You know, he he come he shows up at Survivor Series that year, literally about a month later, wearing riot gear and uh, the of course the infamous turtleneck as well. But it was it was such a a blink and you miss moment. In fact, I think he spent more time in FCW uh, than he did in NXT Black and Gold, which is crazy to think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Dan, seeing you think about that part of his career. He was literally just over two years from debuting in FCW to going on to one of the big four pay-per-views in WWE. That is absolutely incredible, even by today's standards, don't you agree? It is, because you look at like, the other talents who were there with him, people who were signed to the company and had appeared in and around you know, for even longer before that. I know that Moxley did uh, uh, Velocity in 05, I believe. Might be wrong there. But Is that the one with the pink hair? Yeah. That was 2003, I think. Oh, crikey, that's even worse. Um, But, yeah, like, you look at... They've been... People have been dancing in around that time of, like, being on the roster. And for him to have such a short, like, propulsion to the point he was at, I think that speaks volumes of the confidence they had. Even though, and let's make sure we are clear on this, apparently he was not one of the original picks for the Shield. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. I mean... Scott, just if you take away everything we know about him, you just physically look at the man. He's a specimen. He's got everything, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. I think he, he follows in a long line of people who have come in from, I say not from a wrestling background, even though he's from a wrestling family. He didn't really have that much in terms of wrestling training before. He was obviously involved in football, as we know, and then came into FCW. I think it's a testament to his natural ability and you know how he, he was able to pick stuff up in such a short space of time. And plus, Obviously, the look, he's got the look that WWE were looking for, I think, plays a lot into why he went, he progressed so far in such a short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when he debuted, uh, one of my good friends, she's not really into wrestling, but I remember her messaging me going, how could you not tell me this man is related to The Rock? Look at him. Just look at him. And she was gone when she said she felt head over heels and loved him. And to be fair, you can't really blame him. You look at him, you know he's got everything's got the height, the build, the charisma, you know, that Ross manliness. He's got absolutely everything. Um he's he's just a total package. And I've got to be honest, my own perspective, it's it's been I don't think I've seen anyone else I've looked at since him and think, you're it, you've got everything. Or do you disagree, or do you think there is a lot of people have been out there and you think actually, yeah, they've got what Roman's got? It's uh, well, obviously, the times are different and stuff because when you had in the Attitude Era, you know, it was mostly Land of the Giants, and I think it was all you needed was just that natural charisma to sort of get him through. But when he sort of arrived as the Shield, he didn't stand out well, he didn't immediately stand out because obviously everybody was talking about the group as a whole. But it wasn't until like maybe the following year, you know, he started to individually show what he was capable of. And but you're right, the the look, the aesthetic, the the in-ring talent, it was, he just 
took it in his stride and he he made it look so easy, you know, the way he just carried himself. Uh, although it did sort of die down a little bit, you know, when it started to become a little bit more, it started to feel it had that corporate, that heavy corporate production behind it. But if you just let him sort of own his own character, he delivers it brilliantly. I think, I think, we, I think it's quite ironic given how often we're going to talk about the times that Romans faced them, but I think one of the last people you just looked at who kind of came in and you know, he progressed as quickly as Reigns and had that look that said, like, he's like I was probably Brock in 2002. I think that's a pretty fair mm. say, so to be honest, Jamie, I, what were you doing? I mean, it's hard to argue with, like, someone of Roman Reigns' stature because, well, for me, like, when I watch, like, Roman in NXT, I don't think that was quite the look to the you know to deliver the sort of presence that he he should have had in NXT. They could have you know given him something a bit better rather than uh, here's a reskin of Rock with Creator Superstar hair number fourteen. <laughs> um, but eventually, when he transitioned to the Shields, obviously he's got the right gear look. Then you look at him nowadays; he's you know he's he's missing half of it at least. Mm-hmm. Roman Roman is a total package, like just looking at him. And there were people saying that there are things he could do with improvements of. Um of course we know we know like things that folk in the podcast would rather he had. Uh Gary would rather he had a certain other guy's appendage, but never mind. Um But Roman's he's a star. There's a reason why he's been pushed to the moon countless times and likely will be for many years. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I know when not just the the podcast, when the wrestling community, Vince McMahon takes a lot of stick, right? He gets a lot of criticism. But Vince McMahon, when he first laid eyes on him, said, That's the guy, that's who we're building this company around. You've got to give him credit. No, yes, he makes a lot of mistakes. We can talk about the releases, we can talk about the way certain superstars are treated, but see when he knows who's next. He's never wrong, has he? Rarely. I think rarely wrong, is he? Because there have been a few people who he had eyes on. I think Luther Reigns? Anyone? Oh, ho, 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 ho. Goff, Goff, Heidenreich? <laughs> I think it was never in doubt that he was the right choice to be like one of the top guys. I just think the main argument everyone would have is that when they made him the guy, he was put in positions that weren't always to his strengths, as opposed to how he is now. Because I think if he'd done a lot of stuff he's done with him in recent years much sooner, then I think everyone will be crying out that Vince was a genius. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know what, he's, I totally agree with everything you say there. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to move on now and we're going to talk about what Dave mentioned a wee bit earlier. On the 18th of November in Survivor Series, he debuts as part of the Shield. Um, now, for me, the Shield is the quintessential three t- three piece because for me you've got Ambrose who's the one you want to listen to you've got Ray- uh, Rollins who's the one you want to watch wrestle and then you've got Reigns of the powerhouse where you just you want to see him as the champion and take charge and lead that's just my perspective of it um, do you guys agree what do, you mean? do you guys agree with that or do you have your own uh, possible takes on it yeah, I think that's actually quite a that's quite an accurate description there because obviously each had their own individual personas. Like Ambrose had, even their fighting styles were 
very much blended so well with Ambrose being the brawler. Rollins was the high-flying architect sort of guy. But Reigns, you know, was very much the powerhouse, just given the sheer size and build. But it didn't really matter because he had speed and agility, like, just as good as any of the other guys. But he was predominantly power-based. And that's why that's what I always like to see with uh, wrestlers, is that there's diversity about them. And it, re- it reminds me of when... Batista was in the Punjabi prison match at No Mercy 2007. Michael Cole said on commentary, he basically proved that, well, what Batista did in that match proved what that was that he was more than just power and strength. You know, he had taken that leap of faith from one cage to the other. It showed he had speed and agility and it was able, and that was what enabled him to beat Kali. In this case, Roman though, like he would surprise you with uh, really quick speed and reflexes and also even some you know, top, over the top rope dives and stuff to, you know, most stuff you'd see cruiserweights doing. Like, that is what really captivated me about Roman Reigns. Like, he was capable of doing anything, but you knew where he was strict, where his main strength lied. No, absolutely. I think, see, he's running dive over the top rope. The height and the length he gets in that dive is, is so incredible. It's quite, I think, to see live as well. Because, as you say, as some you see, expect to see a cruiserweight do. Or someday, mm-hmm. all right. But the fact that this guy is 20 stone, built like a shit brick house, and can fly through there, it's mesmerising. It really, really is. And when you see guys like Drew, Drew's done it a couple of times in ICW as well, and I'm pretty sure The Undertaker pulls it out every once in a while, like either it's WrestleMania or he did it when he was part of the Ministry of Darkness angle in the Attitude Era. Like, Undertaker is considerably bigger than Reigns as well, and he's able to pull off stuff like that. So I was getting shades of you know, the Undertaker pulling off that kind of move. And it, it just goes, so if you're a big man that can pull off that kind of move, you've already caught the attention of quite a lot of people. Absolutely. Totally agree. Now, moving on, we're talking about also the Shield debuting. I mean, briefly mentioned how quickly he just went from debuting at SCW right through to coming on the main roster. I mean, Scott, I'm going to come to you. They're in the company less than a month and... Roman and Seth have already got gold round their waist. That's still impressive by any standards, whether it's today, back in the day. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it goes to show how quickly they, how quickly the Shield kind of got over there, even though there may be like heels and everything, but like they never like, single people out. They, were just, they had their own like motives and everything. And I think the best, one of the things that really singles out great factions is moments where all of them have gold at one point and they got that moment, I think by the time they won like gold for the first time, they didn't have that many actual matches, but they were regularly appearing all across Raw and SmackDown and just like beatdown segments. So they already felt like such a big part of the show. But when you actually broke it down, you think, huh, they didn't have actually had that many matches, but they they were still undefeated. And the matches they did have, they they got wins over some of the biggest in the company at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll go down some of the victim list, and I mean, there's an impressive list, but just before I do, Dan, see the fact that all all three of mine still went gold very, very quickly. Were you surprised Roman was given the tag titles with Rollins instead of maybe going for the US title? To be honest, not really, because if you think to factions would have given them all the gold, Batista, the powerhouse of evolution, the first belt he held as a member of that faction the World Tag Team Championships. So it's happened before, and we saw how Batista's career went afterwards. Roman, like, winning the tag titles with Seth, the two of them worked brilliantly as a tag team. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it made sense. You know, Ambrose had his own thing that was allowing him to be, you know, grabbing the singles title. But Seth and Roman as a team, that's a dangerous combo. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I just personally thought Roman, for me, obviously, we've been talking about that natural charisma. Would it be, it looked like he would be the guy he'd be given the singles title, but you're absolutely right. He, he did work superb as a tag team wrestler. Never really thought of it in the Batista angle, uh, perspective, but that's actually quite a, uh, a good example of explaining that. So I, I appreciate that. Um, I, think, I, think, I think to go along with that, I think similar to Batista, I think Reigns, when you really look at it, much like Batista was Revolution, was Mali was so naturally talented, still the least experienced wrestling wise mm-hmm. because. Uh, Ambrose and Rollins had all that history in, in the Indies. I think Ambrose was more naturally charismatic because he was the talker, so I think that's why he got the singles belt. And so Rollins, he was the more experienced Rollins against some of the more experienced teams at the time, like the Usos in the Tide Division or Team Hell No. And then also, like you say, getting that mix, the hybrid of like the high flyer teaming with the powerhouse. I think, again, we'll show why Roman got so old because... And these like tag matches, he'd only be in for short periods of time, but he didn't have these short bursts of quickness combined with power. And also, the spear quickly got over as well. And I'll put it out there, I think Roman's got the best spear in wrestling. He's better than Goldberg or Edge, in my opinion. Even better than Gilberg? Especially Gilberg. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think it's a hugely debatable topic. I mean, I need to sit there and think about it, but his spear is phenomenal. I mean, it really, really is. I mean, just I'll put it out there. Um, Dan, Dave, do you agree with Scott that he's got the best spear in wrestling? Ooh, hard to say, really. I think it's just a matter of perception because people could argue that Goldberg's spear was pretty devastating. People would say Edge's was pretty good. And I think Edge was, was pretty good with the spear because obviously, you know, he was... You, you sort of associate it with him as his sort of main move, whereas Goldberg, you know, obviously had the jackhammer alongside the spear. But yeah. Roman, I think, does it very well. Like, he sort of makes it his own. But Edge, I think, should get credit for for sort of basically making it the move what it is, kind of like what the Hardys did with the ladder match. I would second that, to be honest, because if you look at how... Edge executed the spear. He's managed to modify it over the like over his career because the way he was hitting the spear originally presented an element of danger to uh, to how he, to his next situation. Because always remember a spear he gave on the last SmackDown before his first retirement, and after the spear he immediately grabs his neck because mm-hmm. it was always that kind of awkward takedown thing. Now he does yeah. a spear in a way where he just like he flies off to the side, kind of similar to what Lashley was doing, mm-hmm. and just the way he can hit it and the velocity he can hit it with sometimes, like even Rhino just goes, "Mate, can you calm it down a wee bit?" Yeah, Rhino is the only other person I think I'd argue is the most in contention with Roman Spear with the, and even then some people argue it's technically no spear, it's a gore. Same fucking move, <laughs> because both of them like It's now. not a choke slam. It's an elevated spine buster yeah. <laughs> with one hand. It's not a pay per view. It's a premium live event. <laughs> oh, don't let it start me. <laughs> it's not. It's not a hospital. It's a local medical facility. Like, I think it's just the way that Roman does it. Like, because like when he when he spears, he properly dies in the air. Like he's like an arrow. 
diving at you, putting all his weight behind it. And then, and like I said, Rhino, he just looked like he was just sawing you right in fucking half. Yeah, I suppose, see, me side and listen to your arguments. I mean, he's kind of got the both elders edge, which had a, a sharp snap to it. And then you've got the power of Goldberg, which just looked like broke in half. And then, obviously, you're talking about the football element coming into it. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's, a lot, it's a lot of spear in the football. So it probably explains why. I, I think you're right, Scott. I think he does have the best spear in wrestling. Um, you know, the gore was still a spear, but it, it's, no, yeah. it's, no, it's just not the same. No, I, I think you're absolutely spot on with that. Um, and as we briefly mentioned, obviously, the Shield would attack anyone. I mean, the list is pretty insane. I start, I stopped writing after about 30. I'm not going to name them all, but just to name some of the people they've attacked, you've got The Rock, John Cena, Randy Orton, you've got Sheamus, you've got Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes, Triple H, Batista, you've got Kofi Kingston, Kane, Daniel Bryan, Undertaker, Ron Schumann. That's an impressive list. You've got some really tall, big, strong guys, but you've also got some legends and Hall of Famers in there. It's quite impressive to see that it didn't really matter who you were, they were taking you down, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, they didn't discriminate. They had this idea of their own brand of justice, and if you violated that in their eyes, you were getting taken out. And it's interesting to see you stopped writing after 30, so you're saying you could fantasy book a Royal Rumble just out of people that the shield have attacked. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, it's it's insane. But we'll move on to some of the key matches. And um, I mean, when the shield came out, they were like a breath of fresh air coming through the crowd. The music was a caption. The look was fantastic. And I think the moment it sealed their fate for me that really announced these are the guys that's going to take the company forward. Was WrestleMania 29, their entrance at MetLife against Big Show, Seamus and Randy Orton. I mean, wasn't the greatest of matches, but it was the crowd's reaction to them. Uh, Dave, I'm quite coming to you, but it was, it was really something special when they actually came out. Yeah, like, I think, was this the one where they arrived in the helicopter? No. Wait, what was their... The, oh, they, they just came straight out. through the... No, 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 sorry, the helicopter was in the UK a few weeks after. No, I was thinking something yeah. else. So, yeah, just going through MetLife, like, honestly, that's a massive stadium to begin with. So it must have been like, you might as well have just hit the big ramp while you're at it. But this this was very good because The Shield was was a white-hot act in WWE. And going f- on the first match at WrestleMania is a big enough honour, you know, aside from the main event, obviously. So you, you wanted something that got the crowd going. And what better way to do it than, you know, to bring in one of the fastest rising perform- fastest rising group of performers that you could get going against a group of uh, a group of veterans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dan, these three are all world former world champions. They've been around the block. They know the business. I mean, it's impressive to think that they've went and taken them on in the biggest event wrestling has, and they've overcome all these odds. I mean, it's a testament that they put them on. I mean, what was it? Second, they went out of that WrestleMania, or was it even? Oh no, they. They jerked the curtain of that one. Um, but you look at the, the lineup. Randy Orton, multiple-time champion. Sheamus, you know, multiple-time champion. Big Show, multiple-time heel turn, winner of the year. Um, <laughs> like, you've got three of WWE's best going up against these upcomers, and they put them over, admittedly, with Big Show doing his usual. Um, you know, being on side heel turn just because the wind blew to the left rather than the right and uh, 
just messes it for Seamus and Norton. But it's just the way that they gave him that presentation, the fact that there was those little platforms that they all stood on as they made their entrance coming through the place. Like, it puts them literally head and shoulders above everyone else, and that kind of gives everyone the indicator. These guys are going to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. I, really, I did love that the lead up to that triple uh, six man, the whole part of the story was, oh, can Randy and Seamus trust the big show? And it turns out, no. <laughs> Even Stevie Wonder could tell you couldn't trust the big show. <laughs> The even best part could, about even, even even he could see a see a heel turn coming. Oh god! The best part about it is it's technically thanks to Big Show doing that. We got Seamus and Orton getting you know Mexican waved off the show the next night. Oh yes, the Raw after Mania night that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I forgot, but actually, yeah, that was pretty savage. It was good. I enjoyed it. I the mean, only Raw after Mania where I don't think Roman was heavily abused for like five, ten minutes straight. <laughs> Actually, I think you're right, Dave. You're absolutely right. I, very much. Um, so I've looked back through the Shields career. I mean, they've had some incredible matches. I'm just going to name some and you can talk to whoever wants you want to talk about. But we've got Extreme News 2013 where we mentioned they beat, they beat uh, Hell, Team Hell No in a tornado tag. We've got Royal Rumble. Uh, we've got the Survivor Series 2013 where Roman broke the elimination record. Uh, we've also got the match against Cody and Dustin for the tag titles. Uh, we've got the TLC 2013 where they lost a 3v1 match against CM Punk. And the Elimination Team 2014 where they lost to the Wyatt family. I mean, they've had some incredible matches. And for me, as no secret, I'm not a big fan of tag matches. Right? I think they're very scripted competitive and quite boring but see when the Shield fought in a tag match but it didn't matter if it was two of them or three of them they had my full attention I, they kind of for me were that generation's version of the Hardys, Dudleys and you know, Edge and Christian case they made tag team wrestling relevant again do you agree with that or do you disagree with there's only one match out of that list that I infamously remember like just how buzzing I was for it and just the excitement of just seeing it happen like actually for the first time ever and that is Shield and the Wyatt family. Nothing yes. can yes. ever top that. As that much as as much as the moment with Cody and Dustin at Battlegrounds that year was a great feel good moment, nothing will freaking top the Shield and the Wyatt family stood there. They haven't hit each other, they haven't even rang the bell, and the crowd are chanting, This is awesome. Absolutely. But as I remember, it was about eight minutes or something like they stood for. Nothing happened, and the crowd were losing their nut over this. They were, they were, as you said, this is awesome, Chance Starfield. So it's like eight minutes or something like they stood for, wasn't it? It was quite a time. Well, I would kind of mm-hmm. hope not eight minutes. I'd be bored after four. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was like maybe two or three minutes, maybe. It wasn't that. It was eight. I don't know why. I thought it was like eight minutes. I thought it was quite a while they stood for. I mean, as excited as I would be for a match, when they got to three or four minutes of hysterical, I'd be like, Erky, yeah. you're starting to take the piss now. You know what? It's like, I think maybe maybe the reason why you said it was eight minutes, maybe it's because it was that sort of time standing still for a yeah. moment. You just mm-hmm. sort of just take a moment and just acknowledge, like, well, acknowledge it, shall we say. But yeah, that that tag match with the, the Wyatts was outstanding. But I would like to men- give an honourable mention to Survivor Series 2013, because that for Roman Reigns in particular... I think that was his breakout moment as a singles guy. Because, you know, 
up to that point, you know, he was only ever really associated with the Shield and Seth Rollins, uh, specifically in tag matches. But this match is when Ambrose got, took out really quickly, so that whole element of the Shield was gone right from the from the off. So this in particular was Roman going through Rey Mysterio, the Rhodes brothers, and one of the Usos in the process. <laughs> Funnily enough, Roman going against his two cousins on the other side. How times have changed, but yeah, this. This was Roman at his most dominant singles performance. And I think that was his big breakout moment for years to come. And that's what people that's what got people behind him at the 2014 Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Like, like Alan, we said about them kind of helping revitalize kind of tag team wrestling. I think more than anything, them along with the Wyatts all being around at the same time helped for a brief reinvigorating interest in like six man tags. Because mm-hmm. up to that point, six-man ties has kind of been used like a means to an end, like a group of people who are all seemingly feeding each other just on opposite ends, just to fill time on the like, Raw SmackDown. They didn't really have that much interest, but then you got the idea of like these three people coming together to fight the Shield or fight the Wyatts. And I think I want to talk about one of the matches that you listed there, which is the Cody Rhodes and Dustin versus uh, Rollins and Ambrose, and they were trying to like, get their jobs back, and then a few weeks later they won the tie titles off them, and this way, like, Dusty Rhodes having a face-off with Ambrose on the outside, the way that Rollwood sells taking the crossroads. You know, the only downside was there was this adulation that Cody got from this match that made him think that he was the hero of America, as he still does today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there is that slight issue there. Um, I just remember the fact that uh, the only instruction that was given about that match was, don't let Dusty take his belt off. And then he did. I'm pretty sure yep. he did. <laughs> like Cody still so like you can see the corner eye, like, oh god, he's got his he's got his belt off. Uh, you're like, he just get a rollicking in the back. Vince is going to go, I told you, don't take your belt off. That wasn't even Vince to say that it was blowing Cody. <laughs> I Cody was like he probably would have been like, tell him not to take it off, his pants will fall. Now nah, Vince will just go, Oh, this is some good shit. <laughs> Oh, he is an old king, isn't he? I suppose. But yeah, I mean, like, there's some amazing matches, and like, I, I want to ask you this, right? Because I'm, I've had, I've tried to research it, and I can't really find an answer. So I'm going to come to the walking encyclopedia, Scott. I know the Wyatts and Shield fought several times, and to my knowledge, the Shield never won. Is that correct? I, I'm sure it is because I think they had two notable matches. They had the match at. Uh... Uh, LMS Jiver, then they fought a few weeks later on Raw, and again they lost. I think, I think they were trying to tease you the fact that, oh, they're, they're going to shield, they're going to break up, then they end up turning face, sticking around for a couple of months. So, yeah, in terms of like the like, this full three on three, yeah, the shield never won. I mean, I'm sure they fought, and you could technically say it's the shield VY, it's when years later when it'd be uh, Roman and Dean's faces against Bray Wyatt and whichever member his family had at the time. But in terms of six on like three on three, I don't think the shield ever won. Yeah, it's quite incredible to think that, isn't it? I mean, I'm not, I know that like that point, like people are very split. You're either Wyatt or Shield. I was always Shield, but I'm quite surprised at that start. I think maybe the Wyatts were still fairly new on the main roster compared to the Shield, and I think maybe if they knew that the Shield or they had plans to somewhat break up the Shield in a few months' time, they thought. Maybe give it to the Wyatts for now, 
let make let make Wyatt look strong before Wyatt loses to Cena at Mania. Yeah. No, absolutely. So we're going to move on to how obviously the Shield split on the second of June, twenty fourteen, as well, the night after they demolish Evolution, and well, and after the the rivalry between obviously Ambrose and Rollins, Ambrose and Reigns against Rollins, they all sort of go their separate ways and have their own successes. And obviously Roman's first major sort of big success, he wins the twenty fifteen Royal Rumble, and. It really doesn't go down well with the fans. Uh, Dan, I'm going to come to you. They brought The Rock out to help him go over, and he still couldn't go over. Is there anything they could have done to get him over? No. <laughs> That's it, just no. Plain and simple. Uh, well, the, the whole the, the Raw Rumble that year was... It failed for a couple of reasons. One is because you had a heavily corporate-promoted Roman Reigns uh, who had won Superstar of the Year at the end of 2014, and some people were questioning it a little bit because he was off with injury for quite a considerable amount of it. Uh, because I think you know Daniel Bryan had just returned at that point as well. They wanted him to win, and they had the whole Shattered Dreams with Goldust coming out straight afterwards, trolling heavily. But it was, big, it was the way they booked Big Show and Kane to dump out all the guys that the fans actually did support, you know, like Ambrose, Dolph Ziggler, Bray Wyatt, those kind of guys. And then all that was left was Roman. And all he had to do was throw Big Show and Kane out and that was it. So it was, it definitely was a very scripted Royal Rumble and everybody knew the writing was on the wall because there was, the thing about the Rumble is you're meant to have a surprise winner following a dominant performance. That's why people liked uh, Shinsuke winning. That's why people liked Drew winning. That's why, even dare I say it, that's why people liked John Cena winning in 2008. Like, it was... It wasn't so... predict. Those ones weren't so predictable, whereas this one clearly was, and people just weren't accepting it. I think the big issue with Roman, like, especially in 2015, but we'd have the similar issue like, when likes of Ambrose and Strowman in later years got over people like that. Roman's biggest game is you're being pushed ahead of this person that we like. You're not insert person here. You're not Daniel Bryan. You're not Braun Strowman. So therefore, we boo you, and then like they had the th- magic fastlane in twenty fifteen for the title shot at a they see who would face Lesnar at Mania, and like oh maybe if Brian loses them and then shakes his hand, people will accept them. No, if anything, you just had the guy we like lose again to the guy that you want a push. So if anything, you made the fans even angrier. Yeah, I mean like checking my research here. So from the shield spot and I'm going solo from June. He doesn't actually have a loss, a singles loss, until the 2nd of February, but he loses to Big Show on Raw because of an interference from Rollins. I mean, it helped that he was off for four months with an injury in between, but you know. Yeah, I know, but like, WWE like to make a big thing about undefeated streaks, and do you think if they, it would have helped him, or would it have just made things ten times worse, as they mentioned? Oh, well, Roman's undefeated in X amount of matches. Do you think that made it worse, or, or it might have actually made it a bit better? People would have been a wee bit behind it. Would have made it worse, probably, because. No, yeah, it would have made it worse. Because in the years to come, he would, he would fall into the same trap. So, you know, when's in there, like, Roman wins, lol, like, he seems to just always win. So, and certain an undefeated streak in there just, just adds further fuel to the fire. Mm, yeah. And then also from there, he doesn't really have a great run. Uh, 
that's memorable. Yeah, he gets a lot of matches. He wins uh, other people views, but he gets to WrestleMania 31 and he loses the match that has the greatest possible WrestleMania moment in history after the cash-in and he's pinned for the, the loss. I mean, talk about taking a big step backwards because the company is pushing you to be the guy. Don't you agree? Mm. I think that was to gather sympathy. You know, like some critics described him as the the hard luck underdog. You know, one that, you know, he's overcoming all this corporate adversity, but he everybody could see that, you know, he was already a corporately invested product. Uh, well, the character, at least, like Joanna Wahi, the man, you know, he's, you know, he's a very down-to-earth kind of guy. But, I mean, Seamus cashing in on him, I think, was just a bit of a, just a way to sort of delay the inevitable. But, you know, what was quite funny is that when he actually did defeat Seamus for the title, it was in the same building that the that he won the 2015 Royal Rumble. And... So it wasn't that he wasn't a bad performer because he, he still had all these great matches, you know, at Fastlane and WrestleMania that year, even Extreme Rules as well. But people just did not like him as an underdog because he's not an underdog. He's the exact opposite of an underdog because he has all these qualities and these tools that make him a main event star just by looking at him. So why on earth they're booking him as a as someone to be sympathetic about it just didn't fit his aesthetic and i think it's as great as that moment with rollins at cash is and it will be remembered rightfully so for years to come like it kind of does overshadow that roman v brock that year was a lot better than people thought it was going to be and like people do forget like even now when they had when they're having their match like they had their match in saudi a few months ago Roman and Brock have great chemistry together. They put on some great matches, whether the fans really wanted to see them or not. But as good as the match was, I think it was a case of like, well, Brock winning is kind of underwhelming as the heel monster kind of walks out of, with the title. But we can't have Roman no triumph in here because people will probably burn the arena down. So kind of Rollins casting was like break glass in case of emergency kind of solution. And we go with what Dave was saying about the idea of like, oh, this corporate product overcoming corporate adversity. The thing was, whenever they had Triple H or Vince come in and say they didn't want Roman being the guy, they never gave a definitive reason why. They just said, oh, if we say we don't like him, then the fans will get behind him because whatever we like, they seem to rally against or whatever. So they thought, like, no, it's not the same as when you put down Daniel Bryan. They just seem to think, oh, it's like Daniel Bryan. If we say we don't like this person, the fans will have to cheer them. Mm-hmm. It, like, I'd also add to that as well. You look at how so to to add to what Hodney was saying earlier about the when he eventually won the title in Philadelphia, the thing that worked as well was they were building up the story with McMahon that was eventually going to lead to the announcement of it's one v all at the Royal Rumble. Uh, it's the fact that he was booed at the building in Philadelphia when he won the Royal Rumble, and then he wins the title and he receives a standing ovation. The crowd were actually behind him that night. Because they actually gave him a booking that night that worked mm-hmm. compared to everything else. And also, can we? I've just noticed we haven't mentioned this at all. Roman was wearing blue eye contacts at this point. Yes. I've seen that this. before. Like, yeah. Has anyone noticed that his eyes just randomly changed color? Yeah, I, I, I saw that in an article somewhere. I didn't think it was true, but apparently 
yeah, because apparently people with blue eyes are meant to be more captivating and attractive. I mean, I, I say that as, as a guy who does have naturally blue eyes. So, I mean, I can see where they were going with that. <laughs> and if somebody has blue eyes, I can tell you it's full of shit. <laughs> <It's not laughs> <watching me. laughs> no, yeah, I, I didn't realise that, actually. Um, I'm thinking by and I'm like, I kind of think he was. His eyes have changed. I mean, we all noticed the teeth change. I mean, that was like. Oh my gosh. Stevie Wonder could have seen that. You know, it was like, damn. Uh, Uh, I I remember we we reviewed SummerSlam that year when he came back from the going off uh, to avoid COVID. (laughs) I think the comparison we made was uh, where was uh, Chip Skyler singing Shiny Teeth and Me from Fairly Odd Parents? Oh, well, um, <laughs> moving on, as we mentioned, it, obviously winning the match and then also losing it and so forth. That year really doesn't go well for Ru- Ruins. Um, he doesn't really seem to be getting over the fans. His matches aren't of the highest of quality. And then he starts to become almost a bit like a jobber. I mean, in the Universal Title Tournament, he loses to Balor in the first round. And Balor, to a lot of the American fans, was an unknown Obviously, we've known him here for fighting in ICW in New Japan, but a lot of the Americans didn't really know much about him, and he goes out in the first round to an unknown. I mean, it really showed... What, what do you think? Do you think at that point, WWE are like, he's not going to be the guy, but we're just going to have to take a step back and just make him a mid-character? Or do you think they thought, right, we need you to go back the way to bring you forward? I was going to say, I, I somewhat disagree, because... In 2016, he actually main evented the first seven pay-per-views of the year. But this was before the brand split, obviously, when the draft happened. And I think by the SummerSlam, I think they realized, right, this isn't working. We need to change tactics. Cool. Because in the first half of the year, you know, you had Royal Rumble, which, you know, people cheered when Triple H eliminated him. He had Fastlane against Ambrose and Lesnar, which people weren't happy that he won because they knew he was going to win at Mania 32. Payback Extreme Rules with AJ was somewhat okay, uh, was better than it should have been. And then, then Money in the Bank and Battleground were just uh, were just sort of there. But then I think it was, just trying to get my notes here, yeah. uh, C- CNET, C- the American media website, it described it as a fan rebellion with WWE basically trying to move heaven and earth to make Reigns the face of the company for the next decade. Uh, and I don't know if, if it was any of those comments that, you know, maybe he gave WWE cold feet and maybe he wanted to go in a different direction. But uh, ESPN also described that WWE started building Roman as the next great hero. And it, but people just didn't didn't buy it. And I think the SummerSlam booking to have Balor go over him. I think maybe they just wanted a bit of a change in direction. I think. Like the AJ Roman matches, I think there's some that there were some of the better matches that year and some of Roman's best matches at that point. Because being a WWE guy, he didn't do as many of the big flash moves other than like he's main like maybe like the spear and the drive by and that. You know, the, a big fan criticism of like WWE guys is you can't wrestle. But they chatted that seen a lot and they started chatting that Roman. I think those matches with with AJ proved that yes, he can. And then like I think the fact that he lost to Balor, I think the idea of him being treated as a jobber is a bit harsh because. Balor also founded Bullet Club and was had that year run in NXT, so I don't think he was completely unknown. And I believe, remember, he was coming off the Triple Threat Shield 
but he spent most of the build of it off TV because he got I know, a wellness violation. So I think it was that. People think, oh, we can't continue to push him as we have been after this wellness violation, otherwise it really looks like favouritism. So for much of the end of 2016, it basically seemed like, ah, well, nobody cares about the US belt. One Roman come, come play with the US belt for a while until the heat dies down. Nobody will notice because I was never somebody who overly booed Roman, but I hated him more as US champion than uh, than, than as a main event because it just felt like uh, bugger, bugger Rusev and Lana talk about their wedding. Here, lose to Roman multiple times and Roman will win the US title, which he forgets to bring out for segments. Well, see Raw Glasgow, though. That's He was US champion at the time of that show and I think at least three of us. We, Scott, were you at that? I was there, yeah. Yeah, so... It, Alan, were you there too? No, I just moved. To, I just moved. Right. Fine. So, and I know, and Daniel can brag about being in the front row again. But all like the three of us. Were I was there. in the front row. Yeah, you were. We, you, I was. Yeah, he's mentioned it once. Oh yes. And I recall when Reigns was introduced by Stephanie McMahon, like the whole hydro was booing at the top of their lungs. Apart from this, this little kid about two rows in front of where me and Stacy were sitting. And he was just chanting, let's go, Roman. And I was like, mate, you are severely outchanted here. <laughs> yeah, poor child. Poor child. <laughs> that child learned a harsh lesson that evening. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, as you said, the US champ run wasn't the most memorable. Um, but we move on a wee bit in his career and he gets tangled up with the Undertaker. And ends up going to 33 WrestleMania and defeats Undertaker in the main event. Um, to most people, that's an amazing achievement. He's one of only two men that's ever done it. But the backlash of that result, it really, def- for me, it really defined his, his character for a long time because the night after on Raw, or the, the severe amount of doing, I mean, that was a long, long time before he even speak. He starts it. It's my yard, chant. and that's that. And that's and that's what everyone knows it for the next few years. It's my yard. I mean, what do you think that was the moment that people had to realize WWE is backing this guy to the help, regardless of what you think, or do you think it could have been? It should have been done differently. The, the only thing I would say is the match ideally could have gone differently because as it's now been documented undertaker was not in the best health at the time you could see that he was very like blown out a lot of the spots they had planned for the match weren't going to work like they attempted a tombstone reversal but taker couldn't get himself up to do it so the match could have gone a lot better and it could have worked better for roman in that regard but to stand there for four minutes to have the crowd just boo you like crazy and there's even a, a lovely moment where Roman's just stood there and he actually just kind of like up like with his hands, just like, come on, keep it coming. I'm loving this. Just milking it. And then the fact that he managed to piss off so many people with five words. Yeah. That speaks volumes yeah. of Roman yeah. Reigns at that moment. And that's the, that's the moment where I thought, well, okay. It's one thing, you know, obviously like going through, you know, like he just... I think at that point he had also gone through Cena at the No Mercy pay-per-view the year prior. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing that's just gone from beating Cena on pay-per-view in a WrestleMania quality match to beating The Undertaker at WrestleMania. 
Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, the only two people to beat Undertaker at Mania. He's in a, in a very exclusive club. And that's mm-hmm. someone people need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With all that, you know, less is more and everything. Like, And he said in five words more than most people can say in like a 10-minute promo. And, you know, the match at 33 to be generous was not what it could have been. That's a generous way of putting it because, you know, particularly what really pointed out what, what really showed how in bad shape Taker was when they tried that reverse tombstone spot and it just went wrong. And Taker kept trying to do that over the next couple of years whenever we appear and it's just like, and it never worked out. You're like, Taker, just, just stop. Please stop trying to make this spot happen. You, you can't do it. And Roman beating Taker and just the way Smith went, this is my yard now and just let them all hate him. That followed on from like the year before when he said, I'm not a bad guy, I'm not a good guy, I'm just the guy. It kind of you know, comes back to a point that I don't think we really talked about yet in these singles running that this kind of cloud that followed them for the, those few years and that people are saying, just turn this guy heel. You're not, he's not working as a baby face. He's not work, he was better in the shield because he was a no-nonsense, didn't talk as much you know, badass and who, who was more heelish than good. So just let him be that guy. And Debbie, we were just stingy on keeping him a uh, face. And like what you said, Alan, with him saying, with Debbie basically saying they were sticking with him, it was pretty much, you know, they used The Rock to try and get him over. And Debbie was acting like The Rock when the fans said they didn't like Roman. And that Debbie was saying back to him, it doesn't matter what you think. <laughs> I just add to that point there, Scott, um, about the This Is My Yard promo. Remember what the commentators said immediately after he left the ring? Like, the commentators labelled the, the post-mania crowd as non-traditional WWE fans who may cheer for those that normally, they normally boo and boo those that normally cheer all in the name of fun. And I was like, no, we cheer and boo whoever the hell we want because our hard-earned money goes into your network, goes into your live events, and it goes into their salary. Like, sure, we can have a fun time, but it's... It doesn't mean like, you know, if you're trying to specifically trying to push one guy to the moon that we don't want, it's people are going to respond that way. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that, 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 this match probably seems more pointless as the years go on because we know he didn't retire Taker. Even within a few weeks of the match happening, they said, oh, Roman Reigns, man who possibly retired The Undertaker, which immediately left the door opening and say, Taker's coming back in a, at some point next year or something like that. And yeah. it's like you got so desperate that you were on to use him ending Undertaker's career to get him over. If anything, that's worse than him beating Daniel Bryan. Like, oh, I'd this legend that you love for 30 odd years. Well, Owen's going to end his career. You like him now, don't you? Like, no, of course we don't. Yeah, I mean, see, I remember watching, when we watched the Undertaker documentary and watching Taker's reaction to that match, it was quite heartbreaking actually watching because you can see how. The Scott Taker is looking at this going, I can't believe that I did that. And it, you're right, the match itself, just that spot as well, it just didn't work. And it's not the best way to go around with it. I mean, it was hard going to watch. But I want to put this point to you, just to see what your, th- your thoughts are. And this sort of era where Roman's kind of went single and he's been pushing and it's been documented well that he was a corporate mole to be the guy. The rise of social media. Do you think it's possible that it didn't really matter what they did with their social media or not, it still wouldn't have over? Because I think during that time period, the likes of The Rock and Austin 
if they came out at that time, probably would have got the same reception as Brains. Do you agree with that, or do you have another uh, possible avenue to discuss about it? See, I actually think that'd be quite interesting if Rock and Austin were in a time where social media was taking off, because I reckon fans would be divided. They would either prefer one or the other, and people still do to this day. But can you imagine like how much social media back and forth like people would give each other? Say, oh, you don't support The Rock or you don't support Austin. This is like, it's like choosing to be WWE loyal or AEW loyal. Like, why not just be wrestling loyal? You know, and see that these two guys are captured. Because that's for punks. You have to pick a side. <laughs> pick a side. There's a war on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You see, that's the thing. You know, you, you'll you'll have people that will do that over social media, and you know, you'll get probably a fifty-fifty split if Rock and Austin were going against each other. I'm pretty sure that was the case. Well, I'm pretty sure that was the case in a couple of instances. Maybe not like Mania Seventeen, but yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. I don't think it would have made a difference because social media. You know, you can either just like or dislike in this instance. But when you have two guys going against each other, it would have made it a little bit more interesting. Scott, Dan, what's your thoughts on that? I don't know if it really would have mattered, like social media wise, because you would have had still the fans that you know that are more casual or more hardcore, and the hardcore fans would still attend shows and would probably make their voices heard regardless. Because you can see it happen on rare even more rarely than it does today. But back in the nineties, it would still happen before social media was a thing. Like Shawn Michaels, uh, Survivor Series '96, you were pushing him as a white meat baby face. He goes into face said in New York, and the fans boo him out the building. So, one way or another, without social media, fans will make their voices heard if they don't like how a guy's been presented or shoved down their throats. I agree with that as well, because if you also think about it, remember there was a time where the fans weren't chanting, Rocky, Rocky, it was, die, Rocky, die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because like, he was a because he was a corporate babyface character, you know, all plucky underdog and stuff, and then when he became The Rock, that's when everything changed. Mm-hmm. You know, he embraced his inner, his, his inner asshole, essentially, and just be a dick to everyone. Yeah, yeah. it's the same like with Roman. He went from suffering succotash to being oh. the head of the table. Who oh, remembers I that? Oh, I've, I actually erased that promo from my mind. It was the most cringeworthy thing they ever got him to do. It did, it did seem like strange the fact that they acknowledged, like in in documentaries about the attitude there that he was producing around that time. Like, oh, the Rock, he wasn't quite working out his working idea, but we had to turn him here and let him let him speak his mind, let him show his natural charisma. And yet, at the same time, you're not allowing Roman to do the exact same thing. I'm like. You're you're happily acknowledging your history in these documentaries, but you're not learning anything from it, which is what was so frustrating. Remember when Roman forgot his lines in a promo with Cena? Oh, he flubbed flubbed it big time. And Cena's like, it's called a promo, kid. You've got to learn how to do this. Mm. (laughs) Um, I can't retire because you can't do this. You can't do your job. uh, You're like, oh, that was some serious shit. And you could see Roman was seething in that promo. Absolutely seething. Like that meme from uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. He's out of line, but he's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we said, if he had the tribal chief gimmick in the mid-2010s, he'd have... People would have loved him for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then but... what would have happened was it'd have worked for like one year, 
and then they put him in a faction with Seamus, Alberto Del Rio, <laughs> Wade Barrett, and Rusev as the League of Nations. That's what would happen. Like, I think with Heyman, like I think 2015, like Matt, like, was, like Lesnar was what it was. But like when you got to 2018, where no matter how many times Roman took the FI, were got busted up in Hardway, the fans still didn't give a shit about him. That was the time to maybe do a bit of a Dalton kind of maybe turn Heyman against Brock and have him join Reigns. Then you start the whole tribal chief thing because like we're seeing it now with like face Brock versus heel Roman. It's actually quite entertaining. You know, than what than when they tried to give shove down our throats you know, the, the other way around. You know, maybe if you let Brock just like, not give a shit and be himself and let Roman be a dick, fans actually want to cheer for that. If only they'd learned that three years earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, before we go into that, you know, obviously we're talking about obviously defeats Undertaker Mania. Um, the Shield reform in 2017, October 2017, uh, to, I think they did pretty decent. Never quite got the same momentum as they first did, but they, they certainly did well when they returned. And then in November 2017, um, he wins the Intercontinental title against Miz and finally becomes a Grand Slam champion. And if I'm right, he was in second at the Shield to do it. Because Ambrose did it first. Think. No, uh, wait, yes, no. Did not last to do it? Because if Rollins had been a world champion by that point. No, no, Rollins would do it at Mania when he won the IC title. So yeah, he was second. Okay, it was Ambrose, Hampton, then Rollins. Ambrose and Rollins won the tag titles first and then Reigns won the Intercontinental title. Yeah, so Ambrose did it first. Yeah, Ambrose, Reigns, then Rollins at the following May when he won the IC title. And you know Vince in the back of his mind when he was making Roman make Roman a Grand Slam champion? Because it always seemed like Ambrose when they broke up. Ambrose was the one at the Shield he gave the least of a shit about. And then he thought, ah, he'll be the first in the Shield to be a Grand Slam champion. Then someone asked him, well, actually, Ambrose did it like, what? We made Ambrose a Grand Slam champion? Why did we do that? <laughs> Who put that shit? Wait, it was me. Damn it. Whoa. He has to suffer for this. Put, have not put a gas mask on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, moving on. As you say, Rollins won uh, in the was 34, becoming a Grand Slam champion. And then, obviously, he has, Roman has that main event against Lesnar to the point that he was booed and this is boring chance started. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a very low point for Roman. I mean, I remember looking at the arena in WrestleMania and all I could see was empty seats. Thousands left because they were not interested in the match. I mean, surely you'd think McMahon would look at this and go, Look at all those NDCs. I need to take note here. The fans aren't buying this. But no, he kept it going. Like, this is also the peak of like one night, seven hours WrestleMania's as well. So yeah. fans have been through a lot. It started off well in the middle. There were some matches they didn't really care about. You gave them a match they wanted in the middle of the card with AJ and Nakamura that didn't deliver like they wanted. And then you tap it all off with a main event they couldn't care less about. Like, yeah, even with hardcore fans, they're like, I'm not sticking around. I don't care how much I paid for my ticket. I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, obviously, he goes on he, uh, fighting uh, Lesnar and eventually beats Lesnar for the Universal title at SummerSlam 2018. And then, sadly, uh, three months later, on the 22nd of October, he has to vacate it due to a leukemia diagnosis returning. Um so obviously, that, I think that was a really quite a pivotal moment, and I think at that point, people just totally, their attitude towards him totally changed. I mean, 
obviously it's quite sad to think that to just get a bit of not necessarily not meaning to go over, but see just to get a bit of respite from the cheers and the booze, the guy has to get quite a a like I guess a life threatening diagnosis. I always find that quite sad as a wrestling fan just to get a bit of peace because obviously. Yes, I've tried to throw him in the face the he's the, gonna be the guy for the companies and it's not worked. But the fact that, you know, his career's halted and he's at the pinnacle of his career, it's it's quite tragic to watch and listen, wasn't it? Well, this was yeah, this was arguably the biggest low point of of his career, given how the fans responded to it. But the key to remember here is it wasn't the people weren't booing the guy. Well, the people were booing Roman Reigns and his booking. They weren't booing Joanna Wahi, who you know he's a he has a family. You know he's yeah he has a home. He's got children, and when someone's hit with a diagnosis like that, you can't help but you know worry for them as a person and those closest to them. Whereas, at the end of the day, people are smart enough to know that these WWE superstars are portrayed, are characters portrayed by real-life people. And you had to look at through an eyes, you had to look at through the eyes of the, of the real person. And I think, the, I think some outlets have dubbed it as the, the my, my real name is Joe promo. And that's mm. how you know that was Joe talking and not Roman. Yeah. It was like, yeah, because I remember Wesley not watching Raw live at that time, and then waking up the next day and just seeing all over social media about the announcement of them vacating the title and everything, and it was just like a while, like, they, it did legit come out of nowhere, like, very few people even knew about it before he went out to open Raw that night, and, like, you could just feel the change in atmosphere when he, when he mentioned the leukemia and everything, and so it was also very emotional. And also, when he came back to announce he was in remission a few months later, like the pop that he got, like it was the loudest, like positive reaction he's got since, like I feel like since pre shield, which felt so refreshing. Also, to not him be booed, but also felt kind of weird that like it took all this from for the fans not to boo him for a second. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Dan. I mean, I'll even admit this now. If I go back and I watch the pro the the segment where he comes out and says, "By the way, I'm in remission, y'all." I still get a wee lump in my throat because I'm just like, finally, mm. and because you, you've, we've been so programmed to hear everyone booing him, this very mixed response, and then to hear everyone just being like, you know, finally this guy's came back. We can, you know, he's kicked cancer's ass. We can get back to booing him. I mean, we'll cheer him still, but you know what we mean. Like we love that he's back and he can do what he loves, and you know, I mean, it, it led to like the the whole final goodbye with the shield with Ambrose going, mm. uh, it led to, you know, the return match at mania with drew, but this was, this was a new lease on life for Roman reigns, like in more ways than one, because this was Roman now with a newfound appreciation from the audience because they're like, well, it's kicked cancer's ass. He's came right back to doing this. So, you know, we should actually kind of cut him more slack. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, what I had tears of eyes, uh, for both promos, but what else we mentioned earlier about the, the, the man, the physique, though, he's got everything, it just shows one how fit he is and two how tough he is. He beat Kansas' ass in 
three, uh, sorry, five months, five months almost to the day, from the day he announced it to the day he returned. That is incredible. That just shows that even the inner strength of the man to be like, I am not going down to this. I want to beat it. I mean, I mean, I, I could never imagine it, but I'd be absolutely devastated, you know, and I've, you know, touched with also I'd never have to deal with it. But to go your life threatening position to whoop in his ass in five months, fair play to the man. Fair play. That shows the utter strength and courage to the boy. It was it was just amazing. Um yeah, so good on him and obviously we also hope uh, he stays in the mission and it doesn't come back because we're getting some of his finest work now. Um so just before we go into his current situation, uh, from there we move on and he eventually gets a shot at the resume of 36 of the Universal title against Goldberg, but has to vacate it because of that pesky virus, COVID-19. Well, I think you skipped over most of 2019, which includes such low points as being pinned in Saudi Arabia by the best wrestler in the world, Shane McMahon. <laughs> well, as I said, it's a low point. I don't know how I mentioned it, but since you've brought it up, on you go. <laughs> no, thank you. You move on. <laughs> it's a low point for me for many reasons because of Roman and two Ross McLeod was getting point after point after point in the draft for that so um, yeah so it was a very low point in several fronts <laughs> but yeah we move on and obviously he is away from wrestling because of the COVID-19 pandemic and for a lot of us we didn't know if one he would return and two he did when he would and when he returns Talk about an impact he makes. August 23rd, it returns and he attacks Bray Wyatt and Roman and uh, Braun Strowman. And it's one thing attacking the two of them, but it's who he comes out with. Paul Heyman, and he's finally turned heel. I mean, that is going to be one of the greatest returns ever in wrestling. Mm-hmm. I think it shows like no matter what you think about Roman, that like when he came out at the end of SummerSlam after kind of a admittedly underwhelming match between the Fiend and Braun, which I feel like kind of played itself out by that point. When he came out, it goes to like how happy more all people were to see him because he seemed to show a new attitude. Which I think has he has he turned heel, and then it was confirmed in SmackDown when he was aligned with Paul Heyman, and it also kind of showed it showed that. WB is noticeably you know, a bit more boring, especially on SmackDown without Rome, because between him leaving uh, because of COVID and then coming back at SummerSlam, SmackDown was not really worth watching at that time. You thought, well, you don't really notice how important he is to the show until he buggers off, does it? It's kind of the same as Cena. You don't realise how much you'll miss him until he's gone for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave... What was your thought of when he actually did come out in that match and he won the Universal title? I mean, do you have the way he played out or would you rather he actually just came out and dominated the two of them? Uh, well, in a sense, he did sort of dominate the two of them, like, even though he was only in the, he was technically only in the match for like a short while because, you know, he had Fiend and Strowman doing most of the work. Uh, but I suppose that was a testament to his new character. He was like, he'll, he'll show up when he wants to, not when he's contractually obliged. To show up and I'm thinking this is a much more rebellious attitude we're seeing with Roman and it shows how much he thought of himself as the tribal chief is the the guy who I'm the one that everybody follows I'm the one leading the charge here and I'll do 
what I want, when I want. And remember he signed the contract literally about two, like about two minutes before the match ended, and then that's when he won it. All he needed was like a couple of spears to both guys. And yeah, he just scooped it up. It was so brilliantly well done. And yeah, it, it just goes on to be the best he's ever been booked with his incredibly long 500-day-plus universal title run. It's it's exactly what... This, this is Reigns in the prime of his career, and I'm glad he's finally reached that point. Oh, absolutely. I totally, totally agree with you. I mean, Dan, he's still on this run, which I thought, after Lesnar's you know, tight grip of the universal title and how... Basically, it became a laugh and something a joke. He has made that title worthwhile and actually relevant now. And he's had some incredible matches with some incredible talent. He's really doing justice, not only to his own career, but to that championship. I mean, you look at the stats. I mean, at, at time of recording for this episode, Roman is on his 510th day as WWE Universal Champion. He is he's been booked consistently and not just beyond the great matches he's had, you know, the storyline that he's had with evolving the bloodline and with Paul Heyman, even, you know, working heel against Brock Lesnar. It's been, it's been brilliant to watch this all happen. Although the only thing I'm thinking is technically it's been 50 days since he last defended that title. Well, in all fairness, he was meant to defend it day one, but bloody COVID and all that. True, but there's a 30-day title clause. Is that not still a thing now? Yeah, tell that to Nakamura. He went like four months of defending the titles, the US title. Or Trish Stratus in 2005 after Viscera literally squashed her. So what we've learned is WWE follows its rules when it chooses to. To go in with this, like, how long he's been holding the title for, you could be listening back to the show a year from now and Rome would still be still be Universal Champion. He could have not dropped it in the next year. And I'm sure there'll be people out there who would be fine with that. Uh, it's funny that like a year from now, if you listen back to the show, the chance, there's a chance that he's still Universal Champion and that Veer Mahan is still coming to Raw. <laughs> <laughs> no, to, I mean, I've only said in the past, I'm not the biggest fan of long title reigns. And I felt like, obviously, we know how catastrophic uh, Lesnar was for the Universal title. I felt Punk started to get very stale after around eight months. But we are now, you know, running about, was it no far off 18 months him being champion? But it still feels fresh. And credit to him, he's done remarkable work with it. And he's fought some incredible people. Like, like the WrestleMania, I was adamant he was dropping the Mania, Dina Brian or Edge. And he absolutely destroyed him. <laughs> you know, um, you know, Drew McIntyre. The only match—that's the only match when he fought Drew that I wasn't happy with because I just kind of felt Roman could have taken the hit more than him. He could have taken a DQ instead of Drew passing out. But I mean, this is the best work by miles. And now SmackDown's the number one wrestling show in wrestling. I mean, who ever thought you'd have said that? It's well, I, I personally I always found SmackDown to be the better show because I think it puts more quality on wrestling rather than storylines. But the this character that Roman's portraying is is the guy. 
you know, back in 2016 when he claimed he's not a good guy, he's not a bad guy, he's he's the guy. No, I mean that was that was just heavily fabricated in so many ways. But this this persona makes him feel like the guy because he's head of the table, he's the champion. His two cousins, his real life cousins as well, which adds to the chemistry. They're they've also got tag team titles uh, with them, and yeah, he just captivates everybody's attention now because he has a bit more free reign with what he can do, rather than you know just doing what the corporate yes men tell him to do or how they want to market him. Like it, basically, the, the point is ignore what the higher-ups are telling you to be and just sort of take your own persona, crank it up to 11, and this is what's happened with Reigns. And he's he's not only hitting a home run every time, he's knocking it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Scott, what's, what's your thoughts overall on Roman at this moment in time? I mean, this has been the best Roman that we've ever seen, like, by a country bell and, like, I think it depends on who the title holder is, like when and what they do and like their reign that makes it so good. Like when you see like the UK title, like the Pete Dunne and Walter, they did they made it worth having like long title reigns. People like Roman is just so good; he doesn't always have to wrestle, but when he does wrestle, it's usually for that title and it makes it feel you know, like a big fight. Uh, yeah, the WrestleMania match I'll say is probably his best match along with Edge and Brian because easily that could have went. Any of the three ways, any of those three guys could have walked out with it. But Rowan did say we walk out and start them up and, you know, still stand tall. And then he did it. He's the, one of the few heels in wrestling nowadays that says he's going to do something and then he does it. Uh, the match with Cena at SummerSlam, uh, the matches with Lesnar. Like, yeah, like I said, the change in dynamic with him now makes it actually feel like, makes the food with Lesnar feel fresher than it ever has. Like, there are some people who didn't like it when Rome, when Lesnar came back at SummerSlam. I group of us that were all still there at Stevens watching it, watching SummerSlam. We're all like, oh god, like yes, Roman v Brock again, but now Brock is the good guy. Like the idea of he's making stuff that he's done before feel fresh again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Lesnar now for me is now watchable, but before he was unbearable. <laughs> and like now you believe that Roman. Is the beast? He's the guy. He's the powerhouse, and Brock isn't. I mean, it, it is really fresh, and now I'm actually interested in watching it. I mean, and I think for me, the biggest thing I've noticed out this run with Roman is his promo work is just absolutely stellar right now. Um, you know, PWI is named the number one wrestler in the world. He's been named at like several other places as well. Yes, he was also named in one of the most prestigious lists that was released last year, which was. Um, each sleep suplex retweets top ten of twenty twenty one. Go listen to that show. Um, but if you look at how everything went, the promos, as we've said, he has upped his game big time because he's getting to just say what he wants. You know that's what leads to Burns, like to Seth Rollins, most recently saying, "If I wanted to main event a pay per view, I'd fight your wife." You know, like that was a sick line for Roman, and then. Um, you know, just and then he was. What was it? He said something to Cena. It was like, um, you know, you're like, it's just like you're always on here. You're always wanting the same thing. But then again, twenty years of mystery wouldn't do it for Nikki Bella. You know, <laughs> holy shit. Where where was this Roman back in 2017? Exactly. We would have mm-hmm. loved this, but 
to to add another thing, look at who Roman Reigns beat on pay per view in twenty twenty one. Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan, Edge, John Cena, Brock Lesnar. No, that is not universe mode in a 2K game. That was Roman Reigns in 2021. Yeah. More of that, please. Absolutely. I mean, it's a lonely moment, but see, I think Roman in the park, he's right now, he's absolutely spawning everything. And I've, obviously, he's human. Everyone, the only time I've actually seen any flaw in Roman in the whole 2021 was that match with Kevin Owens when the the hand when he was handcuffed, he couldn't get out the handcuffs, and you could actually see Kevin Owens start to panic. It's like, oh crap! And uh, 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 it was quite funny to see actually. But Roman is just—I mean, like it's kind of hard to argue with being the best wrestler in the world right now because he just doesn't really have a flaw. He's just perfect. His his mannerisms, his swagger, his everything about him is just incredible, and like. I mean, closing points, is there any way you can add to that? I mean, like, I hope to go, this continues for years to go, because mm. he's still going to be fresh, he's going to come up with something new, and I look forward to the days when, you know, hopefully in the near future, like, a Braun Brecker comes up and has a goal, I think that'd be exciting, you know, and we kind of get to see, like, Balor go against him again, whatever. I'm looking forward to seeing who's coming next, because... And Scott said, I wouldn't be surprised if we did if we did a review show this in a year's time and he's still the champion. I can tell you who's coming next for Roman. It's Veerman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I put my money on either Veer, Gunther, or Ivory Poachers. <laughs> what? Because of his sparkly teeth. Oh, that was another thing. We never mentioned that. He comes back after the like being off the pandemic and his we teeth did. are all different we did, I said we did mention that well we mentioned it earlier on like quite earlier on like in the show but the the random teeth thing i thought what the hell has happened has someone replaced his top half of the head with a pez dispenser that's how that's why broad and Bray didn't see him killing they were too blinded by his teeth <laughs> like just about bounces off him Roman heard that the theme to WrestleMania 36 was going to be blinding lights and he thought he got, I got that a bit confused. Right. <laughs> in, in, all, in all seriousness, though, I have to give a, I have to acknowledge, yep, yeah, pun intended, the, the Jey Uso feud. Like, it yeah. ended up with the I Quit Hell in a Cell match. Like, firstly, it's, that's a hell of a stipulation to come up with. And secondly, I never imagined that one of the feuds of the year in 2020 would be Jey Uso in a singles match because I've always seen him teaming with his brother as as a tag team. Like, the, everything from the storytelling to the brutality of it. I mean, I knew Jey wasn't winning, but it doesn't. I couldn't care. I just wanted to watch how this story was panning out and how Roman's, how far Roman would go to make sure that his his family acknowledge him as the head of the table. Like, it was just outstanding Outstanding. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Dave. Because I just, I what I wanted to add to bring up before we close off. Jimmy obviously has his issues and his demons, and obviously that they came to fruition at the end, towards the end of twenty twenty one. And normally would have been suspended for that, but apparently the storyline running to media was that important. WWE couldn't afford to do it, so 
What's your thoughts on what's the storyline going into Mania with them then? I think, it was, I think originally that was around at the time they still wanted The Rock involved. And I don't think that's happening now. So I have no idea what's happening now with Jimmy and everything like that. But I know it did cause a lot of because I think it came out right before he and they regained the SmackDown tag titles for the Mysterios. So talk about, you know, bad time. Mm-hmm. Dan, what about you? Do you think this, there's a bigger story about come out for Mania? I don't know. I mean, everything right now from where we're sat is pointing towards we're going to get another bout of Reigns and Lesnar. Like, I, part of my worry now is that it's going to become a lot like the New Day and the Usos. Like, we know that they will deliver a great match. We just want something fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Dan here because maybe third time's the charm with Reigns Lesnar at WrestleMania because remember first time they did it Rollins cashed in and he won it second time Lesnar wins after about after about a million F5s <laughs> and busting him open with those sharp elbow I think this time around if they're going to do there have been talks of a winner takes all if Brock still is WWE champion but then again what is where does the Royal Rumble winner lie in that front but that's we get to that bridge when we cross it uh, get to it uh I th- if they do go with Reigns Lesnar, I think Reigns has to be the one to defeat him this time. You know, make it third third times the charm for WrestleMania matches. I appreciate uh, Crown Jewel Super Showdown last year was it was a standalone show because it's you know it's a Saudi show they can do whatever they want. But if they are going to go with it in Mania, I think Reigns needs to go over. That's a fair point, Dave. Fair point. I think on that point, it's time to end the show. So I'd like to just thank my panellists, David Hockney. Yep, thanks. Uh, Scott McLeod. Thank you. And Daniel Campbell. The pleasure was all yours. <laughs> I know. Well, thanks again for listening, everyone. Keep listening to East Lynch's Palace YouTube. We've got some great shows coming out on YouTube soon. We've got the Royal Rumble quiz. And there's also some other great stuff coming out. There may even be a conspiracy theory before the Rumble. Ooh, keep watching. I've been the Big Dog Army Otis. Thanks very much. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex. We treat East meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Podcast Network.